so I've been thinking of doing this for a very long time, at least a couple of years maybe, and it's probably been in the making for even longer than that. Recently I've been doing all the plotting, scheming, conniving, all the good stuff, and now I'm finally at the point where I get to say, hi, welcome to the first episode of the Loki podcast, a podcast in which I talk about Loki. Thank you so much for listening, thank you so much for being here, and since it is the first episode, I guess I should probably cover some of the basics. First of all, what is this podcast? I mean, it's a podcast about Loki. Um, but more usefully, that is a very broad concept in that I'm going to be talking about more or less anything that has the name Loki attached to it. So a lot of you will definitely have come across the Marvel films before. They're very prominent in pop culture at the moment and a very accessible way into the character. But then there's also comics, which are a little bit more off the beaten track they're growing in popularity at the moment, but it's still quite hard to get into them, especially at first. And then even beyond that, there's of course Norse mythology, which I'm not even going to get into defining that at this point because it would be a very lengthy explanation, and this is very much a summary. But we're talking about stories about gods and god-adjacent creatures from Scandinavia pre the Christian conversion, which broadly speaking is kind of the origin point for Loki. And even beyond that, Loki has popped up all over the place in books and movies and music and plays and things I probably haven't even thought of yet. So there's an awful lot of content out there and I'm sure that's definitely going to mean there's going to be things that interest you as a listener more than other things. There's probably going to be things you just don't care about. And so I fully expect people to kind of dip in and out wherever and whenever it pleases them. However, if you do listen in every week, let me know. I'll definitely thank you, maybe blow a kiss your way, who knows, we'll see. What I can say is that if there's a version of Loki you love, there's probably going to be an episode for you. And as for when you can listen to the podcast, I'll be bringing out a new episode every other Friday because... I'm busy and that leaves me space to do fun bonus content, for example, if we ever get any kind of content that I might want to react to on a weekly basis. As of this episode coming out, you can hear this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, directly on Anchor, on Stitcher, and there's a full list of places it's available on Anchor as well. And then, who am I? I'm Annie, I research, write, and also, for better or for worse, do the talking on this podcast. And other than that, I'm definitely a person. And then, why is it me that you're listening to talk about Loki? First of all, no one could or would stop me from making this podcast. But more importantly, my qualifications for this? As I've mentioned, I'm not an expert, not claiming to be an expert, I just care a lot. In 2011, my parents made me watch the first Thor movie, and as reluctant as I was to do that, I just kind of saw Loki and was like, great, if I don't think about him every day for the rest of my life, I guess I'll just die. And, you know, nothing's really changed from there. I kept watching the movies, got really into comics, but beyond just the Marvel side of things, I'm also just going into my third year of a degree which involves, to a large extent, studying Old Norse literature, which is where Norse mythology comes from, essentially. My third year dissertation is actually on Loki. So what that all adds up to is I don't know everything, but I hope I know a decent amount of things, and I hope you enjoy listening to me talk about those things. Today I'll be talking about the first Thor movie, the first movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that Loki appears in, mainly because it's quite accessible, a lot of people have seen it, and just feels like a good place to start, but 
Before getting into that, I figured I'd throw in a few bits and pieces, a few segments, I guess. I feel like podcasts are meant to have segments. To keep this podcast vaguely relevant for those of you who are listening as the episodes come out, I figured I'd provide any and all updates there might be regarding Loki. As I'm sure a lot of you are aware, not a lot is going on at the moment, but things are kind of starting up again. There's been rumours for a while that the Loki TV show is resuming filming in Atlanta this month, and though there's not really any news from that yet, hopefully I'll have something to tell you in two weeks' time. Some of you might have already come across a leaked set picture from the Instagram account Atlanta Filming, and as much as I would love to be excited about this, it's it's just stone and concrete. This isn't even a finished set, so not really much to say on it, but, you know, tells us that things are happening, which is always exciting. In terms of comics, there hasn't been anything solo Loki since Kibblesmith's run, but he pops up from time to time in the current Thor run by Donny Cates, and also in Valkyrie Jane Foster, though the future of that one is a bit up in the air at the moment. Beyond Marvel, there's a comic coming out of Neil Gaiman's novel Norse Mythology, which is based on Norse mythology, and thus Loki is likely to pop up there as well. And that's about it for interesting new Loki news. And finally, before getting into the actual content, I have already received a few emails and messages and letters and stuff. I mean, not letters, because anyway. So this first email comes from Ellie, who first of all, your email was very nice and thank you for believing in me, but also comes with the question, why Loki? Which the answer to that is this entire podcast, but to sum it up, or at least to give one vague reason, I guess Loki's entire purpose as a character kind of just seems to be to cause problems. He just turns up and makes everything worse, which I think is great, you know? I just, I I love issues and problems and drama and confusion and just you know, all, all of that stuff, all that good stuff. And Loki very much, pretty much everywhere he appears, he's somewhere between kind of annoying and a huge problem. There's definitely a lot of other stuff about his character that I'm very into, but I'll leave it there for now and you can kind of get the idea as we go along. So thank you very much for your email. And so the next question was a message from Izzy that says, I want to know if Loki is a boobs or a butt bitch. Um, first of all, thanks. Second of all, it's- I mean, there is no textual evidence either way. He doesn't really say, he doesn't express a preference at any point. Um, so I guess we just have to go off his previous love interests, I guess? And if we're talking about the mythology, obviously he has some children with some women of- it isn't entirely clear what the relation is always, but he does have a wife, Sigyn, and a a woman he has babies with, who's named as Angerbotha. Unfortunately, none of the existing texts tell us anything about either of their butts or boobs, so I mean, I guess we could find something in the future, you know, Snorri's forbidden secret titty text, but I wouldn't hold your hopes up for that. However, they both do also pop up in Marvel. Angerbotha's appearance is kind of brief, she definitely has tits, we don't really get to see much of the behind situation, but Sigyn definitely has kind of both going on. There's one particular image where it's like, oh okay, she has a good butt thigh situation and kind of killer abs, I'm almost jealous. So I'm not entirely sure what we can conclude from that, but 
there isn't much else in the way of confirmed love interests. There's the odd nod to it here and there. There's some reference to him having a relationship with Lorelai or Mora, both of whom definitely have more tit going on, so could go either way. I don't know if there's any reasonable conclusion to come to other than I've just said the word tit and butt and boob too many times in the last minute. So all I'm going to say is I think he likes a lot of different things, but given how short his list of past and present love interests are, I think he'll probably just take what he can get, you know? So thank you so much for that question, Izzy. And my next question comes from Jamie, who said, among other things, Hi Annie, I'm sorry, I'm concerned you don't understand dates. So if you're really observant, you probably noticed that I'm not American, and I don't know if this is common knowledge, but a lot of places do not do dates the same way as America. Hence, I just formatted the date and didn't particularly think, oh, will this confuse Americans? If it did, that's just a side bonus, you know? But you've already got my Saki email, and while I think I'm very funny, I won't bore all of you with that right now. However, I do want to make the point that if you ever want to correct me, send me a question, anything like that, you know, I'd love that. But send me a rude email, I'll send you a rude one back. And if you're rude and wrong, I will mock you. But otherwise, all emails are welcome. Just be nice. I do appreciate it. And on that note, if you do have any questions, inquiries, anything like that, please do send them my way, either on any of my social media, at Loki Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, or you can email me, thelokipodcast at gmail.com. I will try and get back to everyone who emails or messages, either via email or message or on the podcast. So I look forward to hearing from you. Finally, moving on to the actual content of this podcast in which I give you all of my wonderful Loki opinions. Today we're going to be talking about the first Thor movie of 2011. And just to establish a few things before we really get into it. I know there is a lot of talk about whether Marvel movies are good or valuable content even. And I'm not claiming to have good taste. I'm not claiming that I'm going to answer that question for you. What I'm doing here is analysing this movie in good faith. I'm here for a character I genuinely love and just looking at what he is in this film and, you know, taking it for what it is. That said, there are a good number of people involved in the creation of this movie who I think are quite good at their jobs. I mean, Kenneth Branagh is a respected actor and director that's been in a lot of other things, done a lot of other things, and while this might not be his most serious work, I don't necessarily think that means it's bad. Also, one of the screenwriters, J. Michael Straczynski, actually wrote a run of Thor comics in 2008, so he's not exactly new to this job, and he's worked with Thor before. And you know, the actors do their job well, and overall I don't think this is a bad superhero film. It does very well as a superhero film, in fact. Which is very interesting in itself because, bearing in mind what we've already seen in the MCU at this point, which is not much, this is a very different direction, it's a very different kind of thing. At this point there was only really the first two Iron Man films, Captain America and slightly more tenuously The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton. And while those films aren't exactly realistic, they're very Earth-based. They're very much set on our planet and there's not really much suggestion of even aliens, let alone these kind of mythological beings who are kind of alien, kind of god, kind of a lot of things. This is just not something we had seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet. And that's something Marvel clearly was quite aware of, because if you look at the trailer, 
it very much leads in with this scene you have in this shield encampment around Thor's hammer. We see this conversation between Thor and Agent Coulson where Coulson's kind of trying to work out what Thor is. There's very much an implication that he's something new, but it's only a little while later that we get these grand Asgardian vistas and we finally see that this is something not from Earth. But Marvel felt the need to lead in with this very Earth-based scene, which in the actual movie is not inconsequential, but very much not the most significant thing. As one of the big three original Avengers, Marvel couldn't really make an Avengers movie without introducing Thor. However, that did require them to take this new direction, and I, it really works. I mean, I really like it, a lot of people really like it, but this is the first introduction to the MCU of the idea of other worlds, other beings, aliens, which obviously becomes much more important in the later movies, but this is the origin point for that in the MCU. And just as it was very important to introduce Thor, it was also very important to introduce Loki, who in the comics was the Avengers' first big bad guy, was the guy who brought them all together. And so they needed this movie where you introduce Thor and you also introduce Loki. So you have one of the big heroes and the first big villain. And that leads nicely into the question I'm hoping to answer in this episode of the podcast, which is, how does this movie tell an interesting story about Loki when we already know, as the audience, that he's the villain? You know, a lot of the people watching this film will be aware of Loki's past, will be aware that he was the very first Avengers villain in the comics, and beyond that, that he's... I mean, it's not quite that simple, but he's kind of the bad guy in a lot of the Norse myths. At one point in the movie, Eric Selvig even comes back from the library with a children's book of Norse mythology, which serves as a visual reminder that we know the end of this story. It would have been very easy to have Loki as a very stock character, kind of a caricature of a villain, but that's not the direction this movie goes with it. Instead, we get a character that is much more ambiguous in his nature. To be very clear, I'm not saying this is the first time anyone's done an ambiguous villain, or even an ambiguous interpretation of Loki. A big part of his character is ambiguity. Even so, I do think it's new territory for Marvel. If we look at Obadiah Stane or the Red Skull, there's not really any doubt that they are 100% the bad guy of the story. By comparison, Loki is definitely much more multifaceted. We care more about his motivations and his pain. And again, I'm really not arguing that the idea of an ambiguous villain is entirely new. The point here is that it's a trope being used to great effect in this movie. By not making Loki that black and white caricature of a villain, Loki becomes something a lot more interesting. Which I guess sounds obvious, but I'm not just talking about within this movie. It doesn't just make this movie better. I'm sure I don't have to explain that, at least after Avengers, Loki's character really blew up. People were really, really into it, myself included, obviously. And though a lot of that kind of kicked off more after the Avengers came out, Loki in the MCU starts in this movie. And so I think it's important to see kind of where did his character come from and how did this film create a character that people would become so obsessed with? And, you know, I say that with zero judgment. But it would have been so easy for Loki to become just another forgettable villain within the Marvel Universe. And instead, he became a fan favourite. And, you know, I think that definitely, in part, has something to do with the fact that they cast an actor who is objectively quite attractive, rather than going with the kind of more old, wizened kind of appearance that is more common of Loki in the comics. 
Still, I think it takes more than a pretty face to really capture an audience, even a young female teenage audience, as Loki kind of became known for. And I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why people really connected to this character, but I think all of that stems from his ambiguity and how I don't think it's ever entirely clear how we're meant to feel towards him. I think it can go one of two ways a lot of the time. And so there's a lot of room for interpretation. But I'm going to stop theorising about why such a big fandom grew up around Loki and instead get into analysing this film. Certainly in the beginning of this movie, there isn't a lot that's actually very menacing about Loki. If anything, he comes off as a little bit meek and pathetic, especially alongside Thor. If you look at the scene with Thor and Loki as children, Thor is very definitely the active one. He's swinging his arms about and threatening to go and smack some frost giants. Whereas Loki's kind of much more hesitant and asking questions and seems a little bit afraid. In my notes, I've just written, there is no indication that Loki is evil in this scene, which I think is very funny. I mean, like, children generally aren't evil. They don't come across as very evil. Like, I guess you could draw on some kind of Waluigi type eyebrows and like some suspicious squinty eyes. I mean, that's the gag. Loki isn't actually evil. His eyes are just like that because short-sighted Odin hasn't bothered to get him a sight test yet. <laughs> Eye tests for supervillains, you know, <laughs> spec savers for supervillains. I'm sorry, that's all just complete nonsense. I'll edit that out. But the point stands that children aren't often evil and Loki doesn't seem to be here. He's quiet, he's subdued, and he's evidently quite submissive to Thor. After Thor's failed coronation and they're down in the weapons vault again, and obviously this is a parallel to the earlier childhood scene, it's very clear that Thor has not learnt his lesson from his father being like, no, going and smacking frost giants for no reason isn't a good thing to do. Loki says nothing, he kind of stands there, his face does some stuff, but he doesn't, he's not overly expressive, he doesn't get involved in this argument, he kind of just lets them fight it out. In fact, Loki is quite specifically subservient to Thor. When Loki comes ostensibly to comfort Thor after his failed coronation, Thor says, it's unwise to be in my company right now, brother. Which, I mean, is that a threat? It sounds vaguely threatening. And when Loki's trying to salvage the situation in Jotunheim, Thor actually tells him to know his place, which I guess indicates a very clear difference in status between the two of them. In a lot of ways, we're kind of on Loki's side in the first half of the movie, and I think we're meant to be. We're not meant to approve of Thor's actions, and you can see that in the way other characters react to him. During the coronation, both Sif and Frigga actually roll their eyes at Thor's obvious cockiness, and the Warriors 3 actually criticise Thor's plans to go to Jotunheim because it is clearly a very dangerous plan. In fact, it's Thor's cockiness that actually gets them into more trouble in Jotunheim when he retaliates against a frost giant calling him a little princess, which of course he has to retaliate against, especially at this stage in the story, because it's an attack on his pride and his masculinity, and being the strong, heroic, manly man that he is, he can't let that stand. But because of that action, Fandral ends up impaled, Volstagg has a ice burn on his arm, and although Thor doesn't know it, it's because of this that Loki finds out that he's a frost giant in the first place. In general, Loki is very subdued, at least in the first half of the movie. Even his emotional expressions are very subtle, and if you look closely, you can kind of get an idea of how he might be reacting, but it's not big and showy the way that Thor's emotions are when he's screaming at frost giants or screaming at his father or his arrogance at the failed coronation. Thor is very open about his emotions, whereas Loki is much more closed off. 
I think watching Loki's emotional expressions in this movie is actually very interesting because he doesn't really smile much. He's pretty much miserable through the entire thing. And so his range of emotions seems to be from vaguely displeased to complete crying, screaming, mental breakdown mode. He does smile once or twice and it is always quite unnerving because he is always doing something very shady when he does it. But at least in the first half, he doesn't really smile. We don't see much of him smiling. It's a big contrast to some of the later movies. I mean, if you look at the poster for Thor The Dark World, all of them are very stony faced and very serious. And then Loki's just there in the background, maniacally grinning to himself and so he's not having a great time in this movie but as much as Loki is very shut off and doesn't express much in the first half at least there are little indications of the kind of person he is and a lot of stuff that we can pick up on that isn't very explicit but kind of gives you a bad feeling about him he's definitely very sneaky. I mean, just from the fact that he comes in to talk to Thor from around a pillar, almost seeming to come from nowhere, and he moves almost silently, and it takes a while for Thor to even notice he's there. And in that conversation, it's not explicit that he's manipulating Thor, but he's very much sending mixed messages. He certainly seems wary of Thor's intentions, and tries to talk him down from going to Jotunheim, because that puts all of them in danger, but at the same time he's telling Thor that he's right in validating the way Thor is feeling. There's a pull deniability about it. Ostensibly, he's trying to convince Thor not to do it. In reality, he's most likely convincing Thor to do that very thing that he is trying to convince Thor not to. But you wouldn't necessarily pick up on that. At least if you're not analysing it quite to the depth I am. Even so, just the way Loki talks reads as just a little bit suspect. There's also the fact that Sif and the Warriors 3 really don't seem to trust Loki at all. In the same scene that Loki is potentially subtly manipulating Thor into going to Jotunheim, Sif and the Warriors 3 are there and Sif is very definitely watching Loki as he talks to Thor, as if she expects him to do something questionable. Obviously that distrust of Loki grows a lot later in the film, as they start to suspect him of bringing the Jotuns to Asgard in the first place when he's on the throne. Their suspicion of Loki somewhat rubs off on us as the audience. Still, he's not exactly doing anything that threatening, he doesn't come across as that threatening, but there is a vague suspicion around him. Like, just a vaguely bad vibe, you know? Of course, by the end of the film, we know that Loki is doing all kinds of shady stuff throughout this part of the film, but it only becomes explicit later, and I think that's very interesting that he is doing bad things now, but we don't know about them till later, and it's only later that his shady doings, his misbehaviour comes to light and everyone's aware of it. But how bad are Loki's actions in this part of the film actually? There's a very popular quote from Tom Hiddleston himself about this, in which he says, I mean I'm sure everyone's heard it, the whole, every villain is a hero in his own mind, and I think to some extent that is true of Loki, at least at the beginning of this film. He does bring Frost Giants to Asgard in order to ruin Thor's coronation, but as much as Sif is very ready to interpret that action as an act of jealousy, I don't think that's how Loki thinks of it. Something that he repeats throughout is that Thor is dangerous, and I think in his own head he thinks he's just serving his realm, protecting them from his brother. And as much as it could definitely be argued that Loki is just unaware of that, or at least unwilling to acknowledge it, he doesn't think he's acting out of jealousy. And of course, bringing the Frost Giants in in the first place was a bad thing. 
it results in the death of two guards. I mean, I don't think Loki overly cares about that. There's a line when he actually says that one of the servants should be flogged. So he doesn't have a huge regard for the employees of the Asgardian royal palace. <laughs> Urging Thor to go to Jotunheim also obviously results in injury, both of Fandral, Volstagg, and to some extent himself. But I'm very unwilling to say that's his fault. He would not have been able to convince Thor to do that if Thor did not already want to do that. As already established, Thor doesn't exactly respect what Loki says. Thor's not going to do something just because Loki tells him to. And so that's very much on Thor. And the fact that the Warriors 3 and Sif are very critical of Loki when he tells them that he's the one who told the servant and thus saved them from Jotunheim. They're angry, which feels very unreasonable because as Volstagg acknowledges after Loki's left, he essentially saves all of their lives. And so Loki's actions are a weird mix of bad outcomes, good outcomes, probably good intentions, but also some less than productive emotions driving him along. It's very hard to get a good read on his character because yes, people died because of him, people got injured because of him. At the same time, Thor, Sif and the Warriors 3 are alive because of him. And through it all, I think he does think he's doing the right thing, even if his methods are a little bit shady. I think it's also important that Loki is clearly rapidly losing control of the situation. At first he brings the Frost Giants to Asgard in order to exert some level of control over the situation by stopping Thor from being coronated. It's unclear how much he then consequently planned to urge Thor into going to Jotunheim and retaliating. It's very likely that he could have predicted that outcome, but it was in no way certain. It isn't entirely clear whether he planned this all along and knew that this would happen, or if he's kind of just taking the opportunity as it arises. Thor's angry, he wants to go to Jotunheim. Not only can Loki postpone Thor's coronation, he can prove that Thor just isn't worthy for the throne yet by sending him off to Jotunheim. However, I think that is very much the last point where Loki could have foreseen the consequences of his actions. Very evidently, Loki did not intend to go to Jotunheim and discovered that to some extent his entire life had been a lie and he's actually an entire different species compared to his entire family. Obviously at the point where he makes contact with a frost giant, sees his arm turn blue and thus has to question his entire identity, his family, everything, he's not overly in control of the situation at that point. And this is very much paralleled with a loss of control of his emotions. His emotional expressions definitely get more intense and more frightening, almost, to the audience. There's a build-up to his final breakdown in the weapons vault. His voice gets a little bit more gravelly. He clearly has a lot less patience for Sif and the Warriors 3. And he also explicitly expresses his love for Thor, which I don't think it's not genuine. It's certainly more raw and open than he has been at any point before in this film. And so at this point, we have Loki who is very ambiguous. We have suspicions about what he's doing, but none of it is explicit yet. He doesn't seem to think he's doing anything anything terrible, and there's still been no clear explanation as to what happened to Loki on Jotunheim. And from this place of vague mistrust and doubt, we move into what is probably the key scene for Loki's character, at least one of them. It's the turning point at which he moves from very subtly undermining Thor to a much wider range and much more open, typical villainous activity. 
this scene in itself is really interesting because it plays with a lot of ideas of oh is Loki the villain is Loki not the villain certainly the opening shot is of Loki picking up the casket as if he's going to steal it Odin's first reaction to seeing what Loki's doing is to tell him to stop quite aggressively and angrily and especially having had Sif just suspect him of letting the frost giants into Asgard in the first place it seems as if this is the moment when we see that Loki is the villain this is when he becomes the villain. But that's not what this scene is. And even if you have zero investment in this character, even if you don't like him, it's very hard not to feel something for him here. He's not just crying and screaming at Odin and being very visibly upset. He's also very justified in feeling that way. Although it's not immediately relatable to the average audience of this movie. There is a level to which this kind of family drama, it's certainly something that's almost recognisable. There's also multiple levels to which this is a very clearly upsetting situation for Loki. He's got to roughly a thousand years, it's never explicit how old he is, but you know, a long time. And now he's finding out that he was never related to his family and that's been a lie this whole time which has to be traumatic because it was always going to be a delicate situation and Odin simply does nothing and hopes for the best. He just does nothing and hopes it will work out fine. I mean what exactly did Odin expect to happen? Did he think Loki would never find out? The circumstances under which it all came out I guess were very unlikely to happen but nonetheless it doesn't feel like a smart move to have absolutely no plan in case Loki did find out about this at any point in his extended life. Then there's yet another level on which this is very unpleasant for Loki and that he finds out he wasn't taken in out of love but because Odin has some greater plan for him which Odin explicitly says is no longer important. All the same that can't feel great and possibly First of all, Loki isn't even Asgardian, he's from the race of what he perceives to be as monsters. It has to bring into question his very perception of himself as a person. And the thing with all of this is, it's very clear that Loki already felt somewhat alienated from his own family. It's clear that Thor treats him as if he's below him. Even if none of that makes you feel for him, it's very clear in the imagery of this scene that we are meant to feel bad for him. We see him as a child, as an abandoned child, and you know, as we've already established, children aren't evil. They don't look evil. They don't generally look evil. You don't look at a baby and think, wow, I bet that's evil. You look at an abandoned baby and you feel sorry for it, and we had shown Loki as a child crying and abandoned, which is always going to be a sympathetic image. And it would have been entirely possible to do this scene without showing that, just implying its existence, but it's shown so that we feel for Loki and feel his pain. On Odin's part, it's very clear that he did not handle this situation well. I mean, for a start, he definitely should have said something to Loki. Loki himself recognises that would have been better. And Odin's reasoning, it isn't terrible, but I don't think Odin had bad intentions in keeping the truth from Loki. But at the same time, he really didn't handle the situation very well. He does nothing to quell the belief that frost giants are monsters inherently below Asgardians, which is troubling in itself, but especially questionable when he knows his own son is a frost giant, and learning that would make him doubt his own, I don't want to say humanity, it's the concept I'm looking for, but obviously not applicable when we're talking about Asgardians and giants. But of course Loki is going to think of himself as a monster if everyone around him thinks of his species as monsters. 
Loki refers to himself as the monster who parents tell their children about at night. It's very clear that Frost Giants aren't really seen as people in the way as Guardians are. They're more almost mythological beings that are used to scare children. Early in the film, Fandral says, at least implies, that journeys to Jotunheim aren't common. There's not a lot of contact. All the context we have is this war between the Asgardians and the Frost Giants. There is never any indication that they're anything but monsters. Thor at least definitely believes it because he's very happy to go and kill them without remorse. And by the end of the film, we're meant to come to the conclusion that actually, Frost Giants are people too. But, you know, that's just a little bit too late. From Loki's perspective, Odin should have been much clearer on the point sooner, which he just evidently wasn't. There is also an element that Loki definitely is looking for validation of his own belief that his family doesn't want him and doesn't love him. He specifically says, you took me for a purpose, what was it? He seeks out that information. Loki was already in the mindset that he was different from his family, he was an outsider within his family and from the Asgardians, and so this revelation is working to confirm that thought, that way of thinking. And the outcome of the scene, of course, is that Odin falls into the Odin sleep and Loki becomes king. Which, we are definitely at a stage in all of Loki's scheming that he could not have in any way predicted this. This is very much him working on his feet and taking opportunities as they come his way. We're also at a point where Loki is free to act a lot more openly. He's now a king rather than a prince, and he also doesn't have his father watching him and Thor's well gone. Still, Loki isn't immediately open about his ill intent, but his actions certainly get more explicitly villainous, evil even. And while that's revealed to the audience before it's revealed to the other characters in-universe, there's very much a sense that his actions are coming out into the open now. That escalation begins with Loki on the throne, now recomposed, no sign of the previous breakdown. The first thing we see as Sif and the Warriors 3 enter is Loki's shadow cast menacingly on the wall. They've come to ask Odin to lift Thor's banishment, and they find Loki. Again, there isn't anything explicitly in this scene that Loki is doing wrong, but the imagery and the way he behaves is a lot more menacing, and it's clear that something isn't quite right. And again, he is not incorrect. He shows a very muted kind of grief for his father's illness. We don't know that Frigga has refused to leave Odin's bedside, but it's plausible. And he is still right that Thor is dangerous and that bringing him back would be undoing the old father's last command, which in itself would also reflect badly. If the new king was seen bringing back his brother, I mean we don't know what the general Asgardian population thinks of any of this, but it could certainly be construed as a very selfish action, especially after everything Thor has done. It's still very hard to think of Loki as being in the right here, because even if his intentions are good, he's clearly talking down to Sif and the Warriors 3, and it seems quite clear that it isn't simply concern for his realm that's worrying Loki, and that's not the only reason he isn't allowing Thor to return. It's also very selfish, he has the throne now, he has everything Thor wanted. And it's very easy to interpret this as Loki acting in his own self-interest, he has exactly what Thor wanted. And of course, Loki's actions only really get worse from there. The next thing we see him doing is talking to Thor in the shield encampment around Mjolnir. And though Thor obviously doesn't know he's lying, we as the audience can see he's lying, Odin is not dead, there is no treaty with Jotunheim, and on some level this is still 
a practical concern. Just before we saw Loki asking Frigga, what hope is there for Thor? And this is him then doing damage control, making sure Thor stays away by telling him that he has to in order to ensure Asgard's well-being, to maintain the treaty with Jotunheim, and also the, just the fact that his mother doesn't want him to come back. And that is the thing. If in this scene Loki was only telling very practical lies, I think it would come off a lot better. He's still the villain. But in this scene, I would argue that Loki is being very cruel. And you can see why. Telling Thor that his father is dead, there is no need for that. It would be very easy not to tell that lie. It doesn't really serve any purpose, but it definitely upsets Thor. It makes him feel guilty. And beyond that, Loki also tells him that their mother just doesn't want him back, which very much echoes the way Loki is feeling about his family himself. He feels rejected by his family and he's inflicting that emotion on Thor. And this scene is great because we see Loki doing what Loki does, which is lie and lie very well. He appears to be mournful for the situation. He says he misses Thor. He apologizes and even accepts an apology from Thor. This is kind of Loki in his element and it's it's painful to watch because he is deliberately inflicting pain on Thor, but he's also doing what he's good at. I mean, personally, I really love Loki as a villain and this is very much Loki being a villain. And Loki doesn't even stop at ensuring Thor's not gonna come back and take the throne from him. He takes it one step further and ensures that he gets to keep the throne for the foreseeable future by organizing Odin's death. And again, there's this escalation. So Loki goes from being slightly suspect to openly lying to his brother and inflicting deliberate pain to organizing his own father's death. Loki's second visit to Jotunheim is kind of terrifying because he is just so the villain here. He's plotting with the other main bad guy, Laufey, who also happens to be his father, but you know, that doesn't, that doesn't come up. And this scene is almost unnerving because it's a very quick descent into this villainy for Loki. And Loki is absolutely playing the part. You know, he's talking about all this political intrigue and we get this proper big villainous smile as he's talking to Laufey. And, you know, he's betraying Asgard itself. He is not only inviting the king of the frost giants to kill his father, he's also giving them back the casket of ancient winters so they can be a formidable threat again. It's also interesting that Loki refers to the Asgardians as an entity separate from himself. He says the Asgardians wouldn't take kindly to a king that had murdered his predecessor. Loki seems to be distancing himself from Asgard and Asgardians and his Asgardian identity and shifting over to accepting his frost giant heritage, which of course is a betrayal. He's siding with the monsters, with the bad guy, with the enemies. And the thing with a lot of his actions in the second half of this film is that he is just kind of being a typical villain, you know, he disposes of his main adversary, he keeps Thor away, he sides with the other main villain, he disposes of his father so he can take the throne permanently. And so for quite a while, Loki does actually just look like any other villain, you know, playing the part of a villain, doing all the things a villain should do. Except we know it's a lot more complicated than that by the time you get to the end of the film. And beyond that, I think Loki still thinks of himself as doing the right thing. The most obvious indication of this is during his time on Earth, he tries to lift Thor's hammer and can't lift it. And it's not 
a half-hearted attempt. It's not just a, oh, let's see if I can do that now. He tries, what, three times? And looks visibly disappointed when it doesn't work. He, there is some extent to which he thinks that he's still very much in the right, even more in the right than he was before, apparently. A lot of that clearly has to do with how he sees Thor. The last time he talked to Thor, at least properly, Thor was a danger to Asgard. He brought war by attacking Jotunheim. And he was clearly just not fit for the throne. And while Loki still has that image of Thor in his mind, he can justify keeping Thor on Earth. He can even justify trying to have Thor killed to some extent. And so another turning point in Loki's story is when he can't maintain that image of Thor anymore. AKA when Thor fights the Destroyer and lays down his life in order to save those of Jane and her friends and beyond that, the inhabitants of the town. While Thor is still dangerous and reckless and all of those things, there is no reason why his selfish ambition and his interest in the good of Asgard can't be largely aligned. He wants to keep Thor away so he can have the throne, have his father's undivided attention and presumably validation, and also he can protect Asgard from Thor. But once those two things no longer align, that's when he has to make the decision. And you see this happening when Thor offers his own life in return for those around him. Loki's like, okay, great, I'm not gonna fight you anymore. You're doing the right thing, you can come back. I mean, none of that is said, but at least he tells the Destroyer not to kill Thor. But a split second later, of course, the Destroyer backhands Thor, almost killing him. And yeah, the moment is clearly there to ramp up the tension a bit. It also represents Loki's moment of considering what he does next. And at that point, I think he decides that even though he can't justify it anymore, he's not really at a point where he can stop. Maybe he doesn't want to. He doesn't entirely give up on the idea of winning his father's approval though, as you see at the end of the film. Because Loki's plan never was to have Odin killed, it was to lure Laufey into Asgard and then into Odin's chambers, bearing in mind Laufey could have been killed at any point between the Bifrost and getting to Odin's chambers. There was no reason he had to get that far. Apart from it allows Loki to kill his frost giant father and proclaim himself a son of Odin. He gets to have this heroic moment. He saves his father, his mother is so grateful, gives him a hug, all of that stuff. And Loki gets to live in this little moment where he is the hero. But in reality, it is, it's just theatrics. Loki clearly has not planned beyond this moment because once the moment passes, there are, of course, going to be questions. There's witnesses to everything Loki's done. First of all, he froze Heimdall, which presumably he's not just going to forget about. He tried to kill Thor, Sif, and the Warriors Three, which, you know, they're going to come back and attest to that. There was no way this plan was ever going to end well for Loki. Even if there had been no snags in his plan, and he'd managed to keep Thor on Earth, and he hadn't had to resort to freezing Heimdall, there were going to be questions about how the Frost Giants got into Asgard, and of course he could cover that up with more lies, but... You see, it just gets messier and messier. And while Loki was clearly showing foresight at the beginning of the movie and preventing Thor from becoming king, at this point it feels like he's very desperate to regain control of the situation, but he's not being very good at it. And of course, that's the moment that Thor returns, and Loki's little moment, if he did get to enjoy it at all, gets cut short. And at this point, everything is falling apart in Loki's hands. Thor has come back and not even Frigga trusts him anymore. And yet, Loki still tries to carry out the very last part of his plan. He must know that his father is not going to approve of these actions. 
But, you know, as he says in the Avengers, he's come too far for anything else at this point. And there is an element that this is partially for himself. You know, if he can destroy all the Jotuns, then does that not redeem him in some capacity for being a Jotun himself? I mean, it's obviously a very flawed logic, but at the same time, I think Loki's a little bit past logic at this point. And you can absolutely see that in his final showdown with Thor on the Bifrost. He's screaming, he's yelling, he's having another breakdown, his second of the film. And despite the fact that all of his wrongdoings have come out at this point, he still says that he's trying to prove himself a worthy son. He's also very confused as to what to think of his family. He tells Thor explicitly that he's not his brother and never was, and yet he still refers to Odin as his father, so it isn't really clear how he feels about things at the moment. I don't think he's very clear on the matter. There's also the fact that Loki must know he's not going to be able to defeat Thor in head-to-head combat. So his challenge to Thor can't be a part of any remnant of a plan he might still have at this point. So what exactly is he trying to achieve? This isn't practical, it's personal. And it's much the same as the scene earlier with Odin in the weapons vault. He wants that validation in his belief that his family don't care about him and don't love him. And so he demands Thor fight him because that confirms that belief. Also, despite earlier seeing Thor regain his worthiness, he still assumes Thor is going to act selfishly. He assumes Thor won't stop the Bifrost from destroying Jotunheim, because in doing so, he would cut himself off from Jane. And of course, that's a misjudgment on Loki's part. And because of this complete loss of control, as well as, you know, the conventions of superhero movies, Loki doesn't succeed. He was never going to succeed. And like many villains at the end of their movie, he does die. And even though that's the inevitable and desirable outcome of this movie, of a movie of this genre, we still mourn as an audience, I think. Right up until his death, Loki is still assuming that his father is going to give him the validation he wants. Even as he hangs above the abyss, he's still telling his father he could have done it to give some sign of approval. Even his death is kind of ambiguous, as in, it can be interpreted as fleeing from justice, but it could also be interpreted as suicide. I think both interpretations are very much present in the movie and justifiable, but I think the main thing is, once Odin rejects him and tells him that no, he probably could not have killed all the frost giants, that's when Loki realises that he hasn't really got anything left in Asgard, you know, if he manages to climb back up to safety. He's facing a city that he's committed crimes against, he's facing a family who he thinks don't love him anymore. And so I think for Loki he just realises his only option is down rather than up, in a literal and metaphorical sense. And similarly, the scenes after his death are also kind of controversial. The tone definitely is celebratory because, I mean, it's kind of required. The end of the superhero movie, villain's been defeated, the hero has made his grand return. This is what you want from a superhero movie. Even so, it's somewhat muted in that Thor is very calm, he's not celebrating with his friends, he talks with his father, which I think is meant to show that he's grown up, he's wiser now, but Frigga does mention that he's mourning his brother and Thor is obviously very sad when Loki falls from the Bifrost. I have seen a lot of people online saying that a feast is a traditional Viking funeral, and I mean, first of all, it's not really that simple. I don't think that's why this is happening. It's just a requirement of the genre that there is some level of celebration when the villain is defeated. There's also not much time to actually grieve Loki, and a prolonged scene of mourning would feel 
slightly less powerful since he does return like 10 minutes later in the after credits scene. And with that scene we get Loki all set up for the Avengers, so great, he's not dead. He also seems slightly more unhinged and more willing to misbehave. And so this movie sets up a villain that we feel something for, we've seen his pain in this movie. We know what he's capable of, we've seen him lying, we've seen him using illusions, we've seen him manipulating, all of that stuff. And we also know the troubled relationship he has with his family, especially Thor. We have Loki at a point where he knows he's not doing the right thing and is kind of really into it. But I'm gonna leave that there because we're kind of getting into the Avengers now and that's obviously going to be a whole nother episode. But I hope I've gone some way to demonstrate how Loki is not a simplistic villain and this movie plays around a lot with what a villain is and so this movie manages to make a villain that is literally centuries old interesting by making you doubt whether he is the villain at all. And so thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of the Loki podcast. It does genuinely mean the world to me. Thank you to Lauren for my lovely podcast cover art. I know this sounds cliche but it's definitely better than I imagined it could be. So thank you so much. And if I said anything you really agree with, feel free to let me know, I'd love to hear from you. And if you disagree with me, uh, I'll be available in any and all Asda car parks for a sword fight. But if you don't have a sword or, you know, the travel costs are just a bit too much, also feel free to email me, I'd love to hear from you too. You can reach me at Loki Podcast on Instagram, Tumblr or Twitter or email me at thelokipodcast at gmail.com. So yeah, let me know any of your thoughts, feelings, emotions, involuntary bodily reactions, or, you know, any comments on my mental state. I'll pass those on to my psychiatrist that I don't have. Bye!